Well, good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new with us, this is what we do. We go straight from Easter Sunday, and we just jump right back in to First Peter, wherever we may be. Some of you are nervous right now. Some of you are wondering if I'm nervous right now. My wife's sitting right here. She has a gold wedding ring on. This guy better get preaching. He's got a lot of explaining to do. I just want to say we love that we have a short passage this morning, just seven verses. We can really get, get into this, take our time, and consider the message here. Um, this passage for us, it could feel like a cultural minefield that we're walking through. Um, we're not here to give disclaimers for the Bible. I'm already mad at myself for having an intro, and we're just going to get in. But I'll just say whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a woman or a man, Nobody is safe this morning, so you can buckle up. The Bible's got a lot of wisdom for us in all stages of life, wherever you may find yourself today. And so we're coming for everybody. We're going to get to work. Verse 1, all right? Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So Peter takes these few verses in the middle of his letter to address marriages. And we just wrapped up chapter 2, where Peter ends with a section on submission to authorities. And we spent a whole Sunday just talking about how that's really hard to do. Later in chapter 5, he's going to be telling young men to be submitted to the older men in the church. And now chapter 3 opens... Very simply with this phrase, wives be subject to your own husbands. The idea here is that men are called to shepherd their families and lead their homes. A husband is called to nurture and protect and lead his wife sacrificially. Women are called to trust God's design for this and to be joyful and loving partners who willingly place themselves under this leadership and care. In recent times, many professing Christians have come up with their own interpretations to soften this word subject. And it starts with the idea of, well, certainly it must mean something else because I want it to mean something else. And so it's sometimes now interpreted as meaning to be loving and considerate. And those are good things. And the Bible commands those things for all people all throughout scripture. When we look to the original language, we see really clearly this word subject has been used consistently throughout the New Testament, and it is always clearly referring to submission to the authority of another. I really love this list we find from Wayne Grudem. He gathers up so many examples of this. Romans chapter 13, citizens are subject to government authorities. 1 Peter 3, 22. Later on, spiritual powers subject to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ is subject to the Father. Even a perfect son of God, subject to the Father. Luke 10, 17, demons are subject to the disciples. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, church members are subject to church leaders. Colossians chapter 3, wives subject to their husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, the church is subject to to Christ. 
Titus 2, servants are subject to their masters. In Hebrews 12, Christians are subject to God. And nowhere in Scripture do we find these relationships all of a sudden become reversed. It's just clearly laid out as God's design. But maybe the greatest backdrop for us, for our passage this morning, is another place where we find the same language of submission in the Greek text. It's the example of Jesus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. At a time when Jesus is only 12 years old, Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says, And he, Jesus, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, his parents. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Such an interesting example as we consider Christ, who all throughout Scripture goes before us in all things, sets the example in all things. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, who is the authority? The authority here is Mary and Joseph. And who is the one submitting? Jesus Christ, perfectly, without sin, God in human flesh, the Savior of the world, and yet he chooses to submit to the authority of imperfect earthly parents. If you've ever raised a child, can you imagine what this would be like? (laughs) Your kids already think that they're without sin, but imagine if they really were. (laughs) It's hard enough to deal with little sinners, right? Somehow, dealing with a perfect child sounds worse. We can figure out how to raise little sinners, right? I go with the King Solomon method always, right? Two kids come to you with a toy, and they're arguing over whose should have it, and it's simple. You say, we cut that thing in half. And then whoever cries, they they clearly love it more. But then they both cry, and then you're like, this is not how... It played out for Solomon. This, and, uh, <laughs> I'm out of strategies here. And so you throw the toy away, and then over time, your house is very clean, and your wife starts realizing this was just kind of a strategy all along. Imagine Jesus is one of your kids, and he has to grow up with all of your sin and all of your imperfect decisions. All the times you get angry, and choose selfishness. All the times you don't lead your family well. And day after day, your first son, Jesus, chooses to submit to your leadership with contentment, even when it's hard. This is the backdrop of Peter pleading with God's people in chapters 2 and 3 to trust God's design for relationships. That even Christ himself modeled this inside of an imperfect household. There's people in positions of authority all around us in every area of life, sometimes just, sometimes unjust, sometimes deserved, sometimes undeserved. The first thing for us to consider this morning is that imperfect people do not invalidate God's wisdom for our lives. Our job is not to fight against every hierarchy on earth. Our job is to believe deeply that godly submission is a great gift to us for his glory and for our joy. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Help them to thrive in the role that God has called them to. 
by supporting them in love and honoring them, following them and serving them. And trusting that even when things are imperfect and relationships and people we submit ourselves to are broken and sinful, that God is at work even in the brokenness and this world is not forever. There's another piece here. Read it again. Verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter writes this letter from Rome, and it's during the reign of Nero, most likely around 62, 63 AD, and he's going to be killed very soon by these authorities. He's describing a very real scenario that's happening in the early church, that the gospel is spreading to these polytheistic Roman cities. And what about all the marriages where just one person in the household believes the gospel and the other does not? In ancient Roman culture, wives would be expected to worship the gods of their husbands. And if Christians had just brought the gospel and said, all of these Roman gods that you worship, they're all great, but let's just add Jesus to the list for some extra good luck. Rome would have had no issue with this. I mean, it's a very, like, the more the merrier culture, right? Why not add another god to your mantle for good luck? The modern-day equivalent would be, why not add another houseplant to your living room, you know? But just like all the houseplants in your living room, all the Roman gods are dead. (laughs) And Christianity calls us to repent and to turn from false gods into the one true God. And this makes for a really difficult situation for God's people. And so Peter's solution here is for wives to be respectful and righteous, to show Christ in the way they live their lives, and that they might, look at verse 2, they might win their husbands to the Lord. In the Greek here, the connotation is that you would make an investment that would produce a return. The question then is, what if the husband and the wife are both faithful believers? Does that eliminate the hierarchy of the home? Does that eliminate... The, the leadership of the husband. No, Peter says in the most simple terms, wives, be subject to your husbands. He says this before he writes, even if your husband is not a believer. And so even for the believing households, Peter is simply reinforcing the model we find in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read this together. This has incredible wisdom for us, for husbands, wives, men, women, wherever you are. This is Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. (laughs) Those are words that we need to hear often as Christians. What does this mean for us? It means that we don't get here on a Sunday and stand up here and say, you know, the husband shouldn't do laundry. He shouldn't cook food. As many would say. That's foolishness. That's legalism to add to the law of God. That's not what the Bible has commanded. The most beautiful, godly Christian marriages are filled with love and joy and unity and sharing the burdens of life. Sharing the many responsibilities of life. And you have freedom to figure out what this looks like in your home if you're married. But we also can't apologize for the reality that Scripture has clearly laid out very unique responsibilities for husbands and wives. I think at times we find ourselves always wanting to apologize for God or explain away these passages as if someone's being robbed of something I think we're not seeing clearly the burden of leadership under God. I remember when I was engaged to be married and I was 24 years old and I watched a sermon that John Piper preached on this passage and um, I grabbed some of it and I um, want to read it with you. And it was just kind of like a punch in the face to all the young guys who think I'm going to get married and I'm cool, you know. A cool complimentarian Christian, right? This is what he said. He said, I've been married for 44 years, and I have five children ranging in age from 40 to 17. I've been at this a long time, trying to be a biblically responsible husband and father, and men, this is not a job you want. If God had not called you to bear this, not wield this, but bear this weight, you wouldn't want it. I promise you, young man, you don't want this. Unless God has called you to bear the weight of responsibility, which he has. So when Jesus knocks at the front door because there's a financial problem or relational problem, and my wife answers the door, he says, is the man of the house home, ma'am? I will talk to you later. I want that man. I want to call him to account first. That's not a job you want neither in parenting, nor in marriage, nor in pastoring. Do you get that? This is not about rights and power. This is about weight on your back, day and night, to make it right. It's impossible to bring up kids that way, impossible to be married that way, but you have to do it. So I just hope nobody leaves this room saying, I get to be the head, I get to be the power, I get to be the leader, the controller. You don't have a clue what you're in for. (laughs) Amen. So 24-year-old David watched that sermon. So 
So many people have the right theology, but they wield it like a sword. Instead of trembling at the feet of Jesus, at the thought that God would entrust me with this. 1 Peter chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4. These are not swords that men are to wield in power. These are sacrificial burdens that should be borne in humility. And so the men who get excited about these passages because they just love the idea of being in control, those men do not fear the Lord. They don't know what this passage is saying at all. And often these men are abusive to women. They build churches that belittle women. And God will deal harshly with those men. And I'll just say, those men are in our midst. May we purge them from this. You know? But likewise, men who abandon this responsibility to lead because the world has convinced them that these passages are out of style. Those men do not fear the Lord. And they're not loving their wives or loving the women of the church. In 2019, Bloomberg published a survey of 2,000 young people in America, and they asked the question, do you aspire to become a social media influencer? 86% of them said yes. Then they narrowed it down to just junior high and high schoolers, and the percentage was 98%. You say, David, that's a really bad transition. <laughs> Our culture says, I want more influence, I want more authority, I want more power, because that will make my life better and easier and more fun and everyone will do what I want and listen to me and love me and envy me. And I can't imagine how much Satan loves that way of thinking because it is so twisted from how God wants us to view authority in Scripture. I was drawn to Deuteronomy chapter 17 as I was preparing. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 20, it lists the qualifications for the kings of Israel. And it says, a king should not consider himself better than his people, but he should be humble and devote himself to reading the scriptures daily and not departing from them. That's the qualifications for leadership. And so husbands, if you're looking for a third option between two very not good options, I'd say this. We don't have to wield our authority as a weapon. We don't have to abandon our authority to please the culture. But we can fear God and we can humbly accept our responsibility to lead. Amen? And so Peter continues his message. Look at this. This is still speaking to the wives. Look at verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. We see in these verses really what so many great parents tell their young daughters every day when they send them off to school, wherever they go, right? 
as we're surrounded by a culture that worships image and puts so much pressure on girls to obsess over outward beauty, the message that we see in verse 4 is very simple. Cultivate your heart above all else. The Bible says beauty's fleeting. How could we make something like that the focus of our attention, the focus of our efforts? For Peter's original audience, we see people were using hair braiding and gold jewelry and clothing to present their worth to the world. And maybe methods have changed in 2023. I'm not up to style. Maybe braids aren't the power move that they once were. I tend to disagree. Love braids. I think they're great. The message is about the heart and the temptation to neglect the heart and focus on outward appearance is perhaps more alive than ever. Just over four years ago, there was an Instagram account that popped up and started to spread very fast because it was so unbelievable. And many of you know it or follow it. It was called Preachers and Sneakers. You know what I'm familiar with? It was some guy who was pretty knowledgeable about high-end shoes, and he made an Instagram account devoted to taking photos of celebrity pastors who were preaching while wearing very expensive shoes. And then he would Photoshop it next to a picture of the cost of those shoes online and the brand. And, and so it just blew up on the internet. And you'd see stuff like, like this guy. He's a pastor in Miami, and his shoes are $1,100 made by Prada. Or this guy, Pastor Stephen Chandler, his shoes are $2,500, and he's preaching on stage. There's a pastor in Miami who wore a pair of Air Jordans that were worth $5,500 while preaching. Then they started including other clothes. There's a pastor in Brazil. He's wearing a $1,200 puffy jacket. (laughs) There's a pastor from Los Angeles, very well known. He was wearing $800 sweatpants, and he has a $2,000 Gucci backpack. And then there's this guy, a Brazilian pastor, wearing a $5,000 Gucci jacket. You can imagine, maybe you remember how the world reacted and, and everyone was just running around talking about it. And all the prosperity gospel preachers, of course, were saying, well, God's chosen to bless me and he, he wants to bless you too. Just click the button below. You'll sow the seed. <laughs> and all the trendy LA and New York preachers, they started saying, well, we're, you know, we're trying to reach lost people in the fashion industry, and so we, we got to look like them, and this is kingdom work. These are kingdom outfits. And you can just hear God, like, rolling his eyes up in heaven. And then another account popped up, and it was made by a guy who was very knowledgeable about high-end watches, and he called his account Profits and Watches. <laughs> And he was basically saying, oh, you thought the shoes were expensive. That's just because you don't know the watches. And so we see, again, our boy from Brazil preaching with a $25,000 watch. And then this guy, Jesse Duplantis, with a watch that costs $159,000. He, he was famous um, just a couple years ago for asking his followers to raise money for a private jet that cost $54 million for his ministry, and he already had three private jets. It goes on and on and on. 
this account started in the beginning of 2019, and I remember thinking, man, what are we doing representing Christ like this? And I remember just listening to some of the preachers that I loved and respected, and the way they would describe it is like, how do you preach the gospel of Jesus? And you're wearing like the paychecks of your people on your body and like telling people that Christ is everything. It's just, I just remember being so angry about it, and there's, there's nothing really that I could do about it because I, like, I just shop at Kohl's. <laughs> and <laughs> but in 2019, just for fun, because of this account, I started a journey of wearing the same outfit every time I preached. And so this was me last month in March, and then <laughs> this is uh, February 2023. And then this was December 22, that's Christmas. And then October 2022, October 2021, this was when we were outside, July 2020. And then May 2019, that was Mother's Day. <laughs> and so today is four years, four months, 40 sermons, 200,000 words, wearing the same outfit. And nobody has said anything to me. <laughs> they didn't clap. I wasn't expecting that. But nobody was concerned. I never received any Kohl's cash in the mail. Nothing like... <laughs> I hate that we're like... I want to, we need to get back. I just want to say, I say all this because I just love you guys, right? Like, I just love this church. I love that we're trying to build a community of people in this church who value the things that God values. And rather than compete with each other in all of the empty things that the world offers, rather than compete with each other on who has the coolest style or the nicest things, we can just do what Hebrews 10 says. We can spur each other on to love and good deeds. Amen? Yeah. Again, verse 4, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It is precious in the sight of God when we love what God loves, when our love of God is what defines us. And particularly, God's word here in 1 Peter 3 is wisdom for Christian women, it says. As daughters of the king, you can be confident that your identity and your worth has no chance of improving. There's no, there's no room for improvement on what God already says about you. You've received an inheritance that's greater than anything. I'll just say lastly, I don't think I'm in any danger of braiding my hair on a Sunday, but I am raising three girls in this church I'm really honored to get to raise them in a church with so many godly women that they get to see. For them to see the example that you set of godliness and joyfulness in Christ, not a love of money, not a competition of accumulating expensive things. And so I'm grateful that we get to do this with you, all right? Maybe someone in here is like, I actually really want expensive things. I just can't afford them. <laughs> Maybe God knows that, okay? That's...
Look at verse 5. We're going to finish up. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Those women who belong to God and fear God, they're women who seek the things of God. And Peter says, look back at God's people throughout the generations. You can belong to this line of fearless women if you devote yourselves not to impressing the world with every outward adornment, but just loving and trusting God's plan and purpose and submitting to the things God's given to you. And for married women, Peter says particularly, you can do this through submission in marriage and God's design for his leadership of the family. And Peter uses this example of Sarah here. He doesn't point to one specific moment of the life of Sarah, but just to her posture throughout her life as the wife of Abraham. And we know that Peter believes the people of God, the church, are the true spiritual descendants of Abraham. And there's this cool picture now that the godly women who hope in God and not in this world, they're the true spiritual daughters of Sarah. And what do we do with all this? If, if you're a single woman in here, you can look at a passage like this and say, I can be fearless as I trust God's plan and trust God's covering over my life. And if you're a married woman, you could be fearless in trusting God's plan and trusting that God has given you a husband full of imperfection and sin and faults and messiness and yet believing that he's part of God's plan to care for you and protect you and build a life with you. Does that make sense? Again, verse 5, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So we only have seven verses this morning so we get to stop and ask questions like, what's up with Peter talking about Sarah calling her husband Lord? Some of you married women are saying, I'm not doing this currently. Is that an issue? <laughs> I think if a married couple came to the pastors of Village Church and the husband said, you guys really need to step in here. My wife, she won't call me Lord. I think what we would say is, that's good. <laughs> because anyone who wants to be called Lord probably shouldn't be called Lord. Nobody thinks that's a form of respectful dialogue in 2023. The message of Peter is that wives should respect and honor their husbands. And this includes the words we speak and the language we use and reflects the posture of our hearts. Amen? Yeah, simple. We finish now in verse 7. He turns and addresses the husbands. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so Peter ties it all together in this last verse. He says, Men and women are uniquely different. He commands husbands to honor their wives as the weaker vessel. 
most likely we just see this as reference to physical strength. Most commentators say it's reference to physical strength. In contrast to women and the role of men to love and protect women, to be strong in areas where they may be weak. Then you see the second idea. Husbands and wives, they might be uniquely different in many ways. They might be uniquely different maybe in physical strength. But both are heirs of the same grace. So husbands, honor your wives knowing that you are both equal at the foot of the cross. You're both equally desperate for the grace of God. Your wife is a child of God by the grace of God. The same grace that you didn't deserve is the same grace that she didn't deserve. And so you take all the wisdom of Scripture about leading your wife and leading your home, and you should approach it with so much humility, knowing that we all are just sinners needing a Savior. Amen? Amen? Yes. And so it's not surprising that the whole section here comes back to the gospel. That if Christ died to give us life, if Christ has taken away our need to be perfect and earn righteousness, we're a people that are free to love each other and show honor to each other, to cultivate marriages with mutual respect, to be two imperfect people giving grace in light of grace. And so this morning, maybe you're someone who is married and you feel like your marriage is a burden today. It feels like a constant struggle in one area or many areas. We just look at this and we say, don't give up. Keep believing that God's design is good. Keep showing grace to each other. And God will continue to pour grace out for you. And if you're someone here who's, who's not married, maybe you feel like, I want, I want this someday. I hope you see in this passage that the best way to prepare yourself for biblical marriage is just to get as close to your Savior as possible, to know the heart of God. What a gift that would be for you, whatever the future looks like. And if God chooses to bring you into marriage, what a gift that will be to your partner one day, to be someone whose heart loves the heart of God. Amen? So wherever you are, we just love you and we're with you in this. And these words can be hard for us. And these words can take us in all sorts of thoughts and experiences we've had, experiences and marriages that we grew up witnessing, marriages that maybe we were in that fell apart. God is full of grace for us, right? God has such good things for us. I think if we were to say one simple thing for our good news this morning, it would be that God's design for marriage is a gift to his people because he knows us best, right? God knows us best. He gives us these words because he loves us. And we walk in them as best we can in whatever days we may face. And whatever your life has looked like up to this point and whatever days may come, God has grace for you. And if God calls you into marriage, if he has called you into marriage, 
you're going to need so much grace from God. And you're going to need to show so much grace to others. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just, uh, as your people, we just declare that you are a God who has shaped us, and you know us, and you know our hearts. And God, there's so many messages that the world has, so many messages about how things should be or how things shouldn't be, and we just want to be a people who continually seek what you desire. And God, in something as weighty as marriage, we pray that we would bring glory to you in these things. And that the marriages that are represented in this church would be marriages that bring glory to you because you're worthy of it. We pray that you bring us great joy as we seek this, as we seek to honor you in these things. And thank you, God, that you love us, that you hear us, that you're with us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.